It might be nice to have a tape of the chanting, is that possible? Yes, we are planning to do that. One of these mornings. During meditation, as the focus switched from joy to contentment, there was an area of the body which was painful and tense, and the contentment didn't flow there. The flow of joy in the second jhana was not impeded, although I realized the tense sensation was not completely absent when I reviewed the experience. How do you recommend I bring contentment to this painful area during the meditation session? Well, no, it doesn't work quite that way. If the focus of attention is on the contentment without wavering, one doesn't have the body sensation. In the third jhana, the body sensation should be totally absent. So if there is true contentment, then the body sensation does not interfere. The body sensation is of interest in the first jhana and never again. After that, it has absolutely no significance and it should not be attended to. If it does interfere, the mind should immediately revert back to the emotion, which is contentment at that time. We are leaving the gross body sensations of the first jhana to get to the joyful emotion of the second and the very peaceful emotion of contentment in the third. The body has to be left behind. At that time, the body me is not being used. What is being used is the consciousness me. So we need to make distinctions. And in order to do jhanas properly, one's got to know exactly how each one differs from the next. So this is no way to make the contentment flow to the body. It is the experience of contentment instead of the body. I'm introvert and have never developed the art of small talk. I don't talk much unless I know someone a long time. I have heard that people think my shyness is unfriendliness or snobbishness. Now I realize that when I do talk a lot, a lot of it is not right speech. It looks like if I'm mindful, I will become more quiet than before. On the other hand, when I do talk, maybe more people will listen. When I go to social gatherings, half the time I'm bored. I may be getting more introverted. I do not wish to withdraw further from people. Since I work alone, I feel the need for people at times. Any comments? Yes, 
It's very simple. When one loves people, one also talks to them. And if one is afraid of them, one doesn't want to talk to them. And the only reason one is afraid of them is because one doesn't love them. One thinks they might be judgmental of oneself. They mightn't like one, appreciate one. Why does one think that? Because one is doing it oneself. There's no other reason. Our environment, everything that happens around us is nothing but a mirror of what's happening within us. So if we have this um, difficulty of talking, and small talk is not exactly desirable, one can talk about things which aren't that small, one can talk about some things which are a little, maybe a little bigger. If one does want to talk to people, one's got to love them, otherwise one can't talk to them. Or one talks to them in a way which is stilted, or in a way which is um, has tension in it, because one's always afraid they're not going to like what one says. Well, that's also a skill. One can learn that. One can be totally truthful, and still people have and can like it. So one can be quite capable of talking in a way which is useful. It doesn't have to be exactly this kind of idle chatter. Small talk is idle chatter. When when one goes to social gatherings and is bored half the time, well, then half the time one doesn't love anybody. Maybe the other half the time one does. Who knows? Or maybe the other half the time there's something going on that one can identify with. Maybe food and drink or something like that. Social gatherings are usually not very interesting but one can make them interesting. One can try and find a topic of conversation that interests someone and interests oneself too. When there's a common interest, then one has a nice conversation. Maybe the common interest is not exactly Dhamma, but it can be something that is still worthwhile talking about. So it all comes down to loving people and nothing else. And, you know, it's not difficult to love animals. They don't talk back. And uh, it's not difficult to love nature. It's pretty, although it's also quite dangerous, actually. But it looks pretty. But loving people, that's the most difficult thing and the most worthwhile and also the one that is most needed. The reason people on this globe don't live together well is because they don't love each other. It's so simple. It couldn't be simpler. But because it's so simple, it it escapes most people. It's just too simple. The things that we, that are so simple for us, we don't think they're really worth thinking about. And yet we all know 
I don't think anybody doesn't know. <clears throat> Love thy neighbor as thyself. The question is only who is doing it. It's not knowing it. The difference between knowing and doing is lifetimes apart. So, being together with people is only of any consequence if we have that kind of feeling. It doesn't have to be an attachment, nor should it be um, wanting to be loved back or, or finding that person particularly attractive. It has nothing to do with that. If it comes down to that, it's again on the level of trying to establish a personal relationship. It's totally unnecessary. When we try to establish a personal relationship, we want something. And that already impairs the loving. So if we really want to learn how to be with people, we have to learn to love ourselves. That's the first order of the day. And then the next step is to, to practice. Practice loving people simply for the sake of loving. And it is something that is um, very much in the background in all of our cultures. Very few cultures nowadays where that is actually being practiced consciously. Certainly in the West it's not even known. Love is always considered to have something to do with either family or sex. It's got nothing to do with that. That's just an offshoot of it. Love's got something to do with the ability of one's heart. And we can all learn it. It's learnable. And that's why we do loving-kindness meditation each night. Because it is learnable. And that's why it's very important to give loving-kindness to oneself when one starts meditating. That whole area, that whole level of emotional well-being needs to be explored to the utmost as everybody is capable of loving. Most people just forget about it. Or they confine it to one person, one person on this globe where there are six billion people. And then one wonders, why doesn't humanity live together in harmony? It's a mute question. All we need to do is look at our own heart. And then we know. Because either we don't care or we don't like. And so if one wants to be become socially competent, this is the open secret for it.
And that makes everything so much easier. It's not just social gatherings. You explained that the third jhana is calm and the fourth is peacefulness. That does not seem too different. You said the fourth had no observer. Can you explain the difference a little more? Yes. I would like to state that I said none of this. I explained that the third jhana starts out with contentment and that contentment is an effect of the cause of the joy in the second. And therefore it is also essential that one does all of them until one comes becomes so proficient at them that one can jump around in them and know exactly where one is. So at this point in time, the second one is joy and contentment is an effect of that, a result of that. And so the contentment is the first and foremost feeling that arises. And that contentment then merges into a feeling of peacefulness. That's third jhana. Contentment has peacefulness in it. And the peacefulness may become more pronounced after having been in the third jhana for some time. Contentment and peacefulness are more or less synonymous. They are not exactly the same feeling. But peacefulness, again, is an effect of that or a result of that contentment. So the contentment is the first and foremost feeling and the peacefulness then is a result and the contentment sort of flows into that. In the fourth jhana, it's stillness. It's absolute stillness. The mind does not have any recognition of either calm or peacefulness. It recognizes stillness. Now, there are different levels of the fourth jhana because it's not that easy to get into. One, two, three are the easy ones. And... uh, If one gets into the first one, absolutely no reason why one shouldn't do two and three. But fourth does take more concentration and it takes also more effort. One can compare it, if one wants to, with drowning in stillness. Now, since none of us have drowned yet, otherwise we wouldn't be here, We don't know quite well what drowning is like, but one can say that one is drowning in that stillness so that there's really no recognition of anyone who knows that it's still. But I have not said that there's no observer because I would be totally wrong. And I hope I haven't said too many things that could be totally wrong. There is 
the observer is so minimized that one can hardly say that there is one, but there certainly is one. The only, the first and only time that the observer, the experiencer, disappears is in the past moments. I'll talk about those tomorrow. So there is an observer, and the observer knows that it's still. But because it's so still, the observer is very still too. There are different levels of the fourth jhana, and I have often compared them to going down a well. First one is at the upper end of the well, and one still hears sounds, and uh, the stillness is by no means complete. And as one lets go more, one can get down into the well. As one is at the bottom, there's no sound, and the stillness is complete. Obviously, when one first practices, there's a sort of back and forth into it and then coming out of it a bit. It doesn't matter. That's the practice of it. So the difference is contentment and merging into peacefulness and the fourth jhana, an enormous stillness which is total and completely drenches one and covers one. There's nothing outside of the stillness. The difference is quite marked because in the third jhana the observer is having a nice time and in the fourth jhana he's more or less given up on that. So the difference is is, um, quite vast. Anything where the observer is making comments or after, hopefully after the jhana, can describe what happened as all third jhana. In the fourth jhana, there's nothing to say except it's still. It's not without an experiencer, but the experiencer is minimized. And therefore, the uh, recognition afterwards arises that only when that me thought is as much eliminated as possible can there be finally some stillness. That stillness is of course afterwards recognized as being complete and utter peace. But within the experience it's just stillness. Please discuss, compare and Contract. It can't be right. Contrast. Sorry. Please discuss, compare, and contrast the following terms. I've got to discuss, compare, and contrast. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually not my mode of (laughs) talking about anything. (laughs) Mindfulness, consciousness, awareness, pure awareness, and unity consciousness. 
Well, I hope that has some bearing on that person's practice. Well, mindfulness, sati. Um, Mindfulness is also sometimes called pure awareness, and it's not wrong to say that. It's um, possibly better, more easy understandable if we say a pure attention without any judgments, without any discrimination, just totally bare attention, which is usually what we use the word bare attention for mindfulness. So bare attention. Now bare attention in mindfulness means that we don't have any commentary. We're just there. No commentary at all. And when one has meditated fairly well, that's not so difficult. And this bare attention has, first of all, the connotation of purification. And secondly, it's also supposed to bring and can bring and recognition of things as they really are. So it's two levels of mindfulness, of their attention. Sometimes it's called knowing only. It's often said like that, knowing only. Nothing else except the knowing or the recognition of what there is, without all the commentary that we usually put onto it. So that's mindfulness. Consciousness has several meanings in Buddhist terminology. In Pali, it's vijnana. And in the first instance, and most often used, it is sense consciousness. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. So that's consciousness, vijnana. Then a second way it's being used is reverse consciousness. Reverse consciousness is that consciousness which enters the room at conception. That's reverse consciousness. Arises out of the craving for existence and therefore that there is the delusion of somebody being there. And then, of course, we use the word consciousness in a much wider sense, namely the consciousness that arises, for instance, in the jhanas. We say that that's an elevated or an expanded consciousness. It's, it can be used, the word awareness could be used, but awareness doesn't seem to be quite as encompassing as the word consciousness. So it's better to use the word consciousness when we talk about the expansion or the elevation of our mode of recognition. The mode of recognition that we have in an ordinary daily life is very limited. This mode of recognition is totally concerned with the things of the world. 
So the mode of recognition changes when the consciousness expands. Now then, of course, we also have another way of using the word consciousness, and that's being conscious or being unconscious. And uh, being conscious or being unconscious is quite clear to everybody. It's uh, being unconscious is when there is nothing happening in the mind at all, and as we become conscious again, the mind can start functioning again. There are many meanings to this word also in English, but also in Pali. Pure awareness is likened to pure mindfulness, just not judging and no commentary. And unity consciousness is that which arises out of the higher jhanas, because when we experience the infinity of space or the infinity of consciousness particularly there is no way one can ever doubt again that there is universal consciousness because infinity of consciousness and universal consciousness are actually synonymous so the unity consciousness is the experience of the sixth jhana and then there's no question what it is now until then one can try and work at it and try to practice as we for instance practiced when doing the contemplation on the elements the contemplation on the elements was supposed to bring a consciousness to the fore which recognize that we are the same as everything around us so that we could feel more united and also with others more united. Unity consciousness depicts feeling united. Now the word is ill-used over and over again but it's a feeling. And when we feel united and not separate or alien then we have unity consciousness and we can practice it but uh, the reality of it we uh, experience particularly in the sixth jhana the um, the fifth one is already in that direction but the sixth one is particularly geared to show that if we do experience it, we never need to question it. It's clear. And uh, we can revert to it any time we want. And then, of course, loving people for the sake of loving but does become much easier. It's not such a hard job anymore. And the mind doesn't have to enter into the fray and try to make some comments on why this one can be loved and the next one can't. So, unity consciousness is a very worthwhile endeavor, particularly through the jhanas, but it actually some people do get it through the contemplation on the elements, and some people get it through the experience of the loving-kindness meditation. It doesn't stay, of course. The unity consciousness doesn't stay unless 
at one stage the me has been lost and then anytime one puts one's mind on it it is there but if one doesn't put one's mind on it it isn't there either so that's a totally different affair again and um I think that is um, all that is being asked here so I hope that this is of some usefulness for the practice it does seem to be more like a dictionary doesn't it but maybe it does help with the practice one never knows many possibilities to help with the practice the um, all of the things that we do are all parts of the same picture they're all parts of the same picture of purification when there is purification there are no blockages if we have things which are not clean then there is somewhere a spot or somewhere there is um, some sort of um, elevation that one has to go around but when it's pure it's smooth and even and clear so the whole thing everything we do is part of the path of purification and when the path of purification takes on momentum then all the other things fall into place and purification happens through mindfulness and concentration besides the other things that concern our conduct and particularly concern the substitution with the opposite of anything that's negative and in that particular instance where we recognize unity consciousness or universal consciousness or infinity of consciousness whatever we please they are words and they are all just concepts they are not the reality the reality is the experience we have nothing else to communicate with so we use them but they're concepts but particularly if there is an understanding of this universality of consciousness we will also realize more and better why it is so essential to purify thought and emotion because all of it enters into universal consciousness and we get back exactly what we've put in there like an echo or like a boomerang if our thoughts and emotions are on a low level concerned with hate and greed that's what we're experiencing around us because that's what we're getting back and we need not think 
that we are only getting in touch with terrible people. It's nothing but the echo that's coming back at us. But if we purify thought and emotion and we have impersonal, unconditional love in the heart and the purity of thinking, that's what comes back at us. And when there is purity of thinking, purity of thought, one need not believe that that is now what the world is like. The world is on all levels. And as long as we are on all levels, we get to know what the world is like. We needn't think that we are different from the world or that we are different from anybody else's consciousness. Exactly what we are is what we experience. And only what we are is what we experience. We can never experience anything that isn't what we are ourselves. That's why it said, only a Buddha knows a Buddha. Only an enlightened one knows an enlightened one. Nobody else has a clue. They might be looking for a halo, or they might be looking for some particular outer marks, or some ideas that they have, but only a Buddha knows a Buddha because that is what the enlightened one knows, so knows it also in someone else. All our experiences are exactly what we are ourselves. Sometimes we don't like to believe that. But all we have to do is change ourselves and immediately the world changes with us. Not because the whole world has changed, but our world has changed. That what we touch brings back the echo of exactly the way we have touched it. And that's why very often people say when they have practiced long enough that because they have a totally different outlook on everything they also feel that everything around them has changed. It obviously has. No question about it. So what does that come back to and come boils down to? There's only one person that we need to change and that's ourselves and everything else changes with it and we need to change in the direction that we like to go everybody has free choice in that respect a choice for purification is the harder choice that's why so few people do it much more difficult than just going along with the rest of the world but the difficult things usually bring the greatest benefits. So universal consciousness is a concept which is useful to keep in mind because it does guard one against 
the impurity of thought and emotion if one remembers and guarding oneself against these impurities is the best thing we can do or substituting when they have arisen guarding in the first place substituting in the second the more we do that the less we find of that impurity around us 